This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Been out? Have you been out to your property recently? As I was telling them, I just spent five days out there for Thanksgiving. You did? Yeah, it was fabulous. Cool. Yep. We went out Wednesday afternoon. I just came back last night, and I was I was regretting that I had to come back. Yeah. Nice out time. there. It was beautiful this weekend. Yeah, I, I was down in Chukaluski on Tuesday. Um, we, we got a little cool front, a little bit of rain. Yep. Wasn't bad. Wet temperatures came down. The swamp angels weren't too bad. It's good. I was supposed to go fishing on the previous Thursday, and then we but we had that that fake hurricane that kind of blew through here, so that kind of ruined my fishing trip. And uh, so we rescheduled it for the following Tuesday, which was cool that uh, my buddy was able to reschedule me you know, for that time. So so we had fun catching little tarpon and and all kinds of things like that. Um, I took the kids out. We took the turkey necks and the gizzards and the liver and the heart. And we uh, put it in crayfish traps, and we caught crayfish out in some of the canals and the nice. swamps. The kids had a blast. Nice. Not very many, but it, w- it was a good time. All right, cool. Swamp lobster. I was right down the road. Were you? You should have gave me a call. I was out there for five days, too. One of my neighbors. Really? Yeah. Man, I got to get aboard your guys' plan. You're out You're <laughs> out catching the snakes, the, like, world. what do you say, second largest snake? Second heaviest. Yep. Second heaviest second snake. Second heaviest snake. Ever caught in the state of Florida? Uh, I guess officially i'm sure there's been bigger ones is it a florida thing or is it like a national thing no that's a florida thing okay yeah we don't want these national that would be really bad yeah 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 you got carlene you got to see the size of the snake that they they're the ones that were all over social media with this no that the one that big hasn't been caught it was uh 17 to yeah that's big enough Way Mike big. has earned the name Python Mike. <laughs> Your Python Mike? Yeah. I prefer the Snake Charmer, but <laughs> Python Mike's his name now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Python Mike. 
No, we're, we're walking through the halls of Congress talking to these legislators, and yeah. all they wanted to talk to him about is that snake. Yeah. Really, I bet. Yeah. It's crazy. It gets you, get you through the front door, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a good conversation yeah. well, starter. Well, they leave that on their desk. Somebody picks it up, gives them something to talk about. That guy was just here, you know? All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we are going to check that out. Isn't that crazy? It's cute. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> Yeah, that one weighed 198 pounds. Really? Yeah. It's a big snake. Oh, yeah, it was a big snake. Had eggs? Yeah, it had egg egg follicles in it. Had it, had it, had they matured, they probably would have been another 100 more of those things. Yeah, I've only seen one python out there. Really? On 75? No, uh, Chuck Lusky on a a different trip, but. um, Actually, Nick and I saw it. We saw that together with with Elmer. Out in the water? That That was the only one I've ever seen. Yeah. Out on the water? Yeah. Did you kill it? We tried to hook it, but it got away. It got away. Oh no. Yeah. That's horrible. So we were casting at it. Yeah. Yeah. So but we weren't able to get it. Dang it. Caught that at night, yeah. Like seven, seven thirty in the evening. We touched it. We first touched it at like seven thirty. By the time we were all done and cleaned up, it was ten thirty at night. Yeah. All right, cool. Well listen, we're gonna jump right into this. Yeah. All right. Welcome everybody at the table to the connected by water podcast fueled by our good friends at papa's pilar rum who remind you never to be a spectator i'm your host dennis real please find us all over social media and youtube and spotify and apple and subscribe and like and do all the things you're supposed to do when you watch and follow a show um so i'm here today with some really cool people tom oates mike elfenbein Diamond Bergeron, very yeah. honored that you're here. Thank today. you, thank for you very me. much. Absolutely, um, and we're you're going to educate people today on the Western Everglades primarily, right? And Everglades among other things, but that's basically what we're going to be talking about today: is the Everglades, um, the beauty of the Everglades, um, the responsibility of conservation, keeping things the way they should be, and um, and also some news and different things that are happening out there. And I think it's really interesting. Like we, we were talking before, I think it's going to be really cool because, you know, a lot of people, when they say, oh, yeah, we got to save the Everglades or we've got to conserve and preserve the Everglades. We have to keep the water flowing and send it south and all these things that you hear. And everyone says, yes, yes, yes. And they agree with, but do they really understand all the details all the things that are involved with that, all the people that are involved with that, what is really going on. Mike had a really good anecdote he gave me, and it's it's conservation versus preservation, right? People call themselves conservationists, but really what they want to do is preserve and keep people out. They want to lock the gate and throw away the key. Okay. And uh, and also, we, we I think you and I discussed in the past um, that one of our goals on the show, and I don't know oh, if we'll ever reach it, is I'd like to bring back the positiveness of the term environmentalist. Sure. I think it's been a bastardized term over the years, and it's really been stolen and taken and used and abused, and it now doesn't mean what it originally was supposed to mean. And I'd like to try to bring it back to be a positive thing again, um, if we can. So so we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things you know, like that today. So I am here to become educated, because you guys obviously know a lot about what you're talking about. Uh, you guys get involved. You like you said, you were, were just up in D.C. Correct. Um, speaking to people, um, fighting the good fight. Uh, you guys um, 
get involved with different people like Army Corps of Engineers, all the different tribes in the state of Florida, all the, the different governments, um, and you guys represent you were the stakeholders. You guys are landowners in the Everglades. We, we brought a separate perspective as stakeholders, property owners out in Big Cypress and in the Western Everglades. It's a perspective that they don't get to hear very often mm-hmm. because most of the time it's the, the big money foundations that you know have all the influence. They get meetings all the time. Mike has the connections and the relationships with the legislators and put us in front of eight legislators that we met with a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it was it was um, it was pretty incredible. We had a great opportunity. We sat with uh, Senator Rick Scott's office and several different congressional representatives from South Florida, and have an opportunity to share with them the perspectives, like you mentioned, from the Western Everglades. And mm-hmm. um, it, it was refreshing not only to see that they were interested in what we had to say, um, but they were already pretty well versed and educated in some of these issues. So um, it was nice not to have to start at 101 and be able to jump into it and help them navigate some of these concerns so that we can end up with finished products that are beneficial to everybody, not, okay. not just one entity or the other. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That's great. And also before we're done here today too, Diamond, I really want to get into the Bergeron Foundation and you know, I want you to explain to people what that's all about Absolutely. and, and, and just how that is... It's just a great, great organization. I'd really like to get into that too. So I think we should really start out um, for our audience just talking about, like, explain the difference between the Everglades on this side because we're obviously a Broward County-based business versus the Everglades, like the Western Everglades. So So who wants to jump? Whoever wants to jump in. I'll jump in on that. So So technically there's different areas of the Everglades. The Everglades are broken up into the Southern Everglades which is everything south of the Tamiami Trail. Uh, A Street, east and west, cuts it. Everything south is Everglades National Park or the Southern Everglades. When you hear people say the Everglades, that's usually what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Then you have Flamingo, Chukaluski, Everglades City, all right. that stuff, right? Correct. Okay. Then you have the Central Everglades, which are uh, Everglades, Francis Taylor, the water conservation areas, water conservation area three, two, and one. Area one is Loxahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. Area two is everything west of Broward County, essentially. And then area three is everything west of Dade County from 41 all the way north of 75 to the bottom of the EAA, the Everglades Agricultural Areas, and Mm -hmm. the stormwater treatment areas. Then you have Holy Land and Rotenburg on the northwest corner. Then you have the western Everglades, which is Big Cypress National Preserve and uh, parts of the C-139 Basin. Which mm-hmm. is all that stuff south of Devil's Garden, and like just Babcock Ranch and all that, or, or no? Or is it is it like like where's that area? So you're looking at uh, Seminole from the Seminole Reservation north to include like OK Slough, Dinner Island, uh, Garcia Farms, th- that whole area in there. So southwest of Clewiston. Okay. And then you've got Lake Okeechobee, which is for all intents and purposes the liquid heart of the Everglades. And then to the north of that, you have the northern Everglades. So a lot of people don't recognize that the Everglades start in Orlando. They start mm-hmm. at Shingle Creek. Right. And they make their way down the Kissimmee Chain of Lakes into Lake Okeechobee. And then intended was for it to continue going south and southwest. You know, um, we brought some maps here for everybody. But if you look at the vegetation map, this one right here, this is the best one. Okay. You'll see that, you know, everybody says send it south. But if you look... It goes southwest. Right. All this went southwest, right? So this is the western Everglades, 
Lake Okeechobee, northern Everglades, and the central Everglades. And then everything down here is Everglades National Park. Okay. For those of you watching on YouTube, I'm going to hold that up. And he's kind of talking about the flow all kind of out to here. So, so I'll give you some real world perspective. Uh, everybody has uh, driven across Alligator Alley. You'll notice like the river of grass, Francis Taylor, uh, that's Water Conservation Area 3 and 2. When you start to get to Snake Road, where the two reservations are, that's where you have a, a change in elevation. It's a really slight change in elevation, but that's where Big Cypress begins. The reservations were put there, and the canals were dug to create the drainage for them. And you see this when you're going across. You'll transition from you know, marsh and sawgrass to the cypress, the, the pines, the oak, mm -hmm. the hammocks. Okay. A ridge and slough type uh, environment. Okay, great. And you guys, you guys all have property on the west side, right? Correct. And then, so where is that located? So, uh, I'm out of the footprint of the Western Everglades Restoration Project, but okay. on the western side of Big Cypress National Preserve. Okay, so gotcha. The, the Turner River unit of Big Cypress. Big Cypress is separated into five different units. You've got the stair steps in the south, which is what adjoins Big Cypress to Everglades National Park. You have Loop Unit, which is kind of stuck between Loop Road and Tamami Trail. You've got Corn Dance, Turner River, um, and the addition lands to the north. And then you have a little small piece to the west called Deep Lake, uh, which is a little sliver up against State Road 29. Okay. All right. We, we Between us, we cover south to mid to north. You know, the Bergeron's property is sort of at the north end where this northwest feeder issue is. Okay. Uh, I'm down in the addition unit, but further south from that. And the camp that he goes to is even further south near Turner River Road. Okay. So one of the things you just brought up, the WERP, right? The WERP, which is the... Western Everglades Restoration Project. Okay. And so, so that is one of the topics that we wanted to kind of talk about today, right? I mean, we could, we'll have to talk about it now. We can get into that later, but... It, I mean, it's been our challenge to try and educate right. people on Western Everglades and the unique features. I mean, so it's Everglades Restoration, SERP, Central Everglades Restoration, is a huge project made of multiple Com Comprehensive. Things. Comprehensive. Okay. Western Everglades is a very small piece of that that has... So it's a more specific project. Correct. Okay. It's been put off several times, and it's only recently gotten a lot more attention, uh, but it, it's educational is, is the issue. People don't understand Western Everglades. They... They, they refer to the river of grass when they think of Everglades restoration. Right. Okay. Uh, so thank you guys for taking me through all that and, and explaining like the different parts and the different areas. Um, why Everglades? I know, I mean, you grew up in the Everglades, right? I did. Born and raised, right? Yes. So I don't have to ask why Everglades for you because that's like, you know, born and raised home. But I mean, you guys moved there, right? You guys moved in and got property there? Yes. Uh, so what drew you to the Everglades? So as we were talking before we started this, I, I, my life growing up in Miami, I was in the fishing world. That's what mattered to me was mm -hmm. fishing. I grew up fishing. That was my world. I came from the Cranon charter boat dock. And there was a point in my life where someone offered me the opportunity to hunt in the Everglades. And I thought, wow, that was pretty cool. And so um, that was kind of the beginning of my understanding of Growing up in Miami and being afforded, you know, Biscayne Bay and the Atlantic Ocean out the back door to go fishing and recognizing that as far away as the Everglades were from the ocean, they were as much a part of how the ocean was healthy as the ocean itself. And so it's connected by water. Connected by water. Yeah. So 
understanding that helped me realize that if I wanted to continue to enjoy the things that were important to me, that the Everglades and their well-being were equally important. So mm -hmm. that's why Everglades. And I think it's interesting, too, because whenever, you know, people bring up the Everglades, I mean, obviously, of late, especially clean water and water quality has been a big, big topic. Um, you know, in the past, everyone's always talked about the animals of the Everglades and the living things out there, the, the alligators, the herons, the birds, primarily. Um, but I think it's interesting that a lot of what we're talking about today is the people of the Everglades, right? So the people of the Everglades are pretty much made up you guys um the different tribes um that still call that home a lot of um, indigenous people yeah. still call that place home right and i think it's kind of like you know like seminole miccosukee they're they're kind of um known in the united states as one of the few tribes that have really been able to like stabilize and like maintain like, the miccosukee right? especially if yeah. you if we go across highway 41 you'll see their different encampments all along their uh all the concessions that they run uh, they, they're all over water conservation area three, the Miccosukee, they, they are true believers in the environment and want to restore the Everglades and their mother earth. Yeah. And, um, so take me through a little bit, if you guys can, the difference between Miccosukee and Seminole tribe. Is that a fair question um, to ask? Yeah, I, I don't, um. Knowing members and, of and both again, tribes, and again, that's for the benefit of the audience. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to speak for either of them. Okay, uh, but I, I will tell you that there's two differences that that I've come to learn about the two tribes, and that is their constitutions. Uh, the Miccosukee tribe's constitution puts the environment and conservation as a priority, and that's something that I can relate to. And that's something I can stand beside, and I do. And I, I take a lot of pride in my relationships with that tribe and its people. And um, I value their values. So I can't, I don't have that same relationship with the Seminole tribe, mm -hmm. but I know that their constitution doesn't put uh, the environment and conservation as a priority. Um, so that's what I know. But I, okay. I, I do know that the folks at the Miccosukee tribe are wonderful people. And, um, I, I believe that many of their values are very much in line with ours. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then, and b both, both tribes are, they own land and, and, you know, they have areas that they want to protect and preserve. So the right? two, the two federally designated reservations that are border the Western Everglades are the Miccosukee reservation, uh, primarily identified by the service station on snake road. Okay. And then north of that is the Seminole reservation combined. I think it's about 80,000 acres between the two reservations, but there are two distinct reservations there in big Cypress. Okay. So, um, you guys have gone to the Hill about a situation that's going on out in the Western Everglades right now. And, you know, I remember that when you and I were discussing it first, you said something really distinct to me that the goal for all this, the chief concern is protecting the environment. Correct. Goal number right? one. Right. Goal number one. And I think that was really cool that you said that because I'm like, you know what? Thanks for kind of making that clear um, because I think a lot of people can maybe misunderstand the motive. Well, uh, I mean, and, and I think if that's 
goal number one, and that's motive number one. I think that's really important for everybody to know. Everybody has their own interests, right? I mean, you know, people look at me, I'm a stakeholder, I'm a property owner, I have a vested interest in the outcome of Western Everglades restoration. It may affect the, the quality of the time I spend at my property, the quantity of water that I have on my property. Mm-hmm. I have a certain personal vested stake in this. However, chief con- uh, among my concerns is the environment. If, if you can give me a plan, WERP or whatever other iteration of this plan, and you tell me the environment is going to be served best by this plan, I'll get behind it 100%. Okay. So explain what WERP is. So, so the Western Everglades Restoration Plan is a very small piece of the comprehensive Everglades restoration. It's that Western Basin. In particular, if you look at where the reservations are, there's a canal. It's called the L28 Canal. There's the L28 and the L28 Interceptor Canal. Okay. Uh, the, this canal was installed sometime in the 50s, 60s. It, its primary purpose was to drain. Uh, it was put in by the Conservation Corps, you know, now referred to as the Army Army Corps. And it does a really, really good job at draining that basin. And, okay. and it's it, the, the purpose for the drainage is to keep the reservations dry uh, right. because this is a very rain-driven ecosystem. Uh, and if you don't have a way to move the water, the, the change in elevation over miles is very, very slight. You'd have accumulations of water that would make it hard to build housing subdivisions mm-hmm. and have concessions out there. So the, the L28 does a really good job at draining. The problem is it ushers all of the water from agricultural uses to the north, north of all of us, north of the reservations, down into Water Conservation Area 3, onto a portion of the Miccosukee Reservation. Uh, it, it create, it's at a, there's a triangle where these two canals come together, okay. and it's called Sand Point. And there's a huge, if you look at some of these colored maps, there's a huge plume of exotics and invasives that are created uh, just by the fact that there are nutrients in the water that are basically funneled from the north onto the reservation. Okay. And so one of the chief goals of Western Everglades Restoration is to remediate that. To that big green circle there? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. So Okay. Here, show the, show, yeah, show so the camera. This, this. Nick, this can you canal, put the camera on here? This canal ushers all that dirty, polluted water to the end. And what has occurred over time is it has fed the, that imbalance in nutrients has fed the in, growth of invasive vegetation within the boundaries of the Miccosukee Reservation, which lies within Water Conservation Area 3. Okay. All right. Got it. Got it. So is there a solution to this right now? That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, I mean, because it sounds like it's affecting a bunch of different people, right, in, in, in different ways, right? Am I wrong for saying it no, that? It, it absolutely, no matter what you do, you're going like, to affect somebody. Yeah. Okay. So that makes is, it really hard. It makes it very difficult. Yeah. Makes it makes it very difficult. Okay. So, so you might ask the question, Dennis, What if, if the canal is the problem, why not just get rid of the canal? Okay. Hasn't been proposed, right? The canal provides drainage to some, but it also funnels water to others. Is it, but I mean, would there be an alternative? There are, there have been plenty of alternatives. Uh, okay. One of the alternatives we beat last year was this 5,000 acre STA that was going to be built on a, a piece of property that's adjacent to hers okay. in, in a pristine Cypress Slough. I mean, it would have been the Kissimmee Billy Strand. It would have been absolutely devastating for this. And uh, we, we, uh, we took care of that 
they didn't realize where they had put it when we took them out there and, and showed them this property. Diamond and her father uh, took people out there and showed them this. They agreed. It, where they wanted to put this was ridiculous. Yeah, you okay. got to hear it from Diamond the way she tells it because she grew up there. You know, she's known it her whole life and her family's known it their whole lives. So what happened? I will try not to get emotional <laughs> because I... It's probably inevitable when I talk about this. You can get emotional. You, you're well within I will. your rights. To get <laughs> it's fine. Will. Totally fine. Um, we had taken quite a few people out um, to show them what was living and thriving in the center of this footprint that they had to build this STA. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you that this is the most pristine area, the amount of panthers that we have there that come back year after year to raise their young. We have so many trail cameras that we have in the area so we can keep track of that. So we have so much proof of that this place is thriving and doesn't deserve to be destroyed. My dad always said, can you imagine us sitting here having a press conference and a, and a ribbon cutting in this area to build this STA and we're bulldozing 500 year old cypress trees. Mm. I mean, these trees are, remarkable. They will blow your mind. And when we had people come out to see them, they had no idea what they were about to do. Right. And so that's why it's so difficult for us to trust them now because look at what they were proposing before and they said it had to be done. If you ask them now if it needed to be done, they they have changed the plan. So clearly that wasn't the answer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it reminds me a little bit about, you know, putting the wrong people in the wrong places to make the wrong decisions. You know, we deal with that here right off the coast with fisheries management and science and, you know, where they make decisions um, for, you know, new proposals and different things and you know, making new laws and new rules for regulations. And they don't really ask the fishermen at all. For example, one, one example that we use on this show is shark depredation and the battle that we've been fighting here to curb or control that and we would always get knocked down now we started talking about it on this show very early on now it seems like everyone's talking about it which is good i'm happy that it's it's a bigger conversation what they first started doing was saying oh we will send out scientists to search for sharks to see if we can do this and they're sending them out in like 400 foot of water it's like well we're catching them in 150 200 you know what I mean? You're in the wrong depth. You're not where they're at. You're not where we're fishing. You're not. So they're not. Oh, there's no sharks. And it's not a problem. It's like, well, yeah, we'll come in a few hundred feet and you're going to experience a problem. You know, that's. And they're not listening to the right people. That's what kind of what it sounds like to me. It's like you got people just like throwing a dart on a map. Right. They say there, that place. Right. Well, it's like, well, go to that place. So. Well, these these scientific bean counters needed to put a five thousand acre STA somewhere, and that seemed like the best location right. because it was right on the spot in the map where they needed to put it. Yeah, the the crazier part was the fact that they went through with proposing an STA, planning it, and proposing it to the public, without ever first contacting the people whose land they intended to build the STA on. Mm-hmm. So that, imagine you're a landowner, you've got land in your family for five, six, seven, eight generations. You know, that's that's when you've had land in your family for that long, that's your heritage. It's your right. legacy. And so here comes the government having a public meeting telling the public that they're about to build an STA on some of that heritage land. And uh, so imagine everybody's surprised when that happened. And 
now the Corps expects those same people to want to come back to the table and work with them. And how do you do that? Yeah. You've already breached that trust. You've, you've already proposed a project that your staff clearly dropped the ball on. They proposed something that was never going to work and tried to force it down everybody's throats. And so you have to consider that this is only the recent time that's happened. In 2019, the same thing happened. And so I'll give you a little bit of back history. Inside of Big Cypress National Preserve, kind of like what Tom has and what I'm privileged to be a part of, there's 250 or so inholdings, people that owned land within the footprint of Big Cypress National Preserve before it was a national preserve. So the, the compromise at the time that the preserve was created in 1974 was that it would be instead of a national park, a national preserve to allow for things like inholdings, to allow for continued recreational use, to allow for hunting and fishing. And in the enabling legislation by the, by the Congress at the time, it was clearly stated that there would be no attempts to remove those private property owners from their land within the footprint of Big Cypress. They were given that protection by Congress. So I'm so happy you brought that up because that is another thing that we discussed. The difference between preserve and park, Correct. right, is is huge as to the freedoms that you're allowed. So what? So with park, you basically you, you can't do anything. Nothing. There's it, no it's consumptive a, yeah, use. It's a park. You you're yeah. done. That's the way it is. It's, it's always going to be. You got a guy in a khaki shirt running around telling everyone what to do. Well, so, right? but, but well, let's back up for a minute. Uh, if we go back to the 40s and the 50s when Everglades National Park was being advocated for by the, the Glades men and women mm -hmm. that, were, that wanted to preserve that, when a park was chosen, anybody that owned property in that footprint lost their property. They were right. condemned. Yep. Right. And that was a huge loss to the community that had fought so hard to try and save that, that area. Uh, and then we did it again in, in the 1970s, not me, uh, but the, the, the Glades men and women that were around in the 70s for the Big Cypress Preserve. So Big Cypress in total is 750,000 acres. 30,000. 730,000 acres. Okay. So the, the size of Rhode Island, to give you an idea of how big that is. Come on. Big it's Cypress massive. National Preserve is the side of Rhode Island. Really? Yes. That's pretty interesting. That's giant. Wow. Huge. So it was 1974 was when the original footprint, right? Yes. The addition areas were left out. The addition areas are right in the crux between the reservation and the main preserve. And that was 1986 when it was made a part of the preserve. So then when you're a preserve, you have the what? Pre the preserve was created as a compromise. It, there wasn't such a thing prior to the Big Cypress National Preserve. And I think Big Cypress National Preserve is only one of two preserves in the National Park Service system. So, but but the difference between the preserve is that I'll it allows you. consumptive and recreational use. It allows for hunting, fishing, frogging, off-road vehicle use, and all of the different activities that occurred on that land, and was the same groups of people that advocated for for the protection of that land. So, the the state government didn't want to buy the preserve at the time. They wanted no hand in it. So, the only government entity that was willing to put the money in was the National Park Service, and so they bought it and the stakeholders realized that with the park service buying it, if it was a park, they were going to lose it. So the compromise between the gladesmen people, the sportsmen, then the environmentalists that you're trying to get back to, and the different tribal parties was that this was going to be a preserve 
and those recreational and consumptive uses and inholdings and private properties would be incorporated in that process. And so they were. And so we now have Big Cypress National Preserve. How much of the water is running through the preserve? <laughs> D- Diamond, how much water is running through the preserve? A whole lot, if you <laughs> <Yeah>? ask me. <laughs> yes. Okay, explain yeah, that to so, me. So our property borders the Big Cypress. We're mm-hmm. just north of it. And when I tell you that I have to use a paddleboard to get to a lot of my trail cameras that are right along that fence line, mm-hmm. I'm wearing waders. I can only get so far until I have to swim. That is not a joke. Right. I've been using a paddleboard for the last, I'd say, two to three months getting out to some of these cameras. Cool. I mean, it's a lot of water. Yeah. It is. I mean, I'm sorry. I just like cool like the picture i have on my head of you out of the paddleboard it's beautiful waders. it is <laughs> it's a spiritual yeah. experience but it's a lot of water <laughs> yeah it's a lot of water it so is a lot of water let me let me pause this for a second because i want to bring up the bergeron foundation okay yes. and, and it might seem weird to bring it up like in the middle of all this but I, I think it's appropriate so explain to me the goal the mission about bergeron foundation because i want to kind of bring this up behind to see what their role is in all this yes so Gosh, my dad's been involved in Everglades restoration for many, many decades now. Mm-hmm. Maybe 40, maybe more. I know as long as I've been alive, and that's 32. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's felt very uh, organic. Um, it's very... I, it feels authentic because we... We're, we're Glades women and Glades women are, are Glades men and, and Glades women, my entire family. And mm-hmm. we have such a connectedness to the land that it feels very grassroots for us. We're not a big, you know, corporate foundation that's lobbying and, you know, doing all of these fancy things and wearing suits. But it feels very, we're connected to the land and connected to the people. And for me... I was in Nashville for the last 10 years. I moved there to pursue a country music career, which I'm still writing and singing. Mm -hmm. But I had a moment where I realized the music business can wait, but the Everglades can't. Right. It's a good good way to to say that. And I'm going to cry. (laughs) It's okay. Um, But it's, it's been an honor for me to be the vice president and work alongside my dad. And mm-hmm. I've just, I have all of these memories of him standing, you know, in the central Everglades in chest deep water, pleading for them to, you know, open gates because all of these fur bearing animals that he once saw are no longer there. They can't survive. Right. So those are my childhood memories. And it's just, it's been really wonderful for me to get to, stand beside him in that water and echo that that's great yeah i mean i, mean, I we discussed that a little bit i think before the cameras were and mics were on and where cameras were rolling and everything you know about my admiration for your father um but you know part of the reason is and i gave the other reasons oh yeah self-made man and all the other great things that make him who he is but there's really been no other person that have that has championed you know the preservation of the glades like he has absolutely I mean, you know people want to look you know, oh, you know marjorie stoneman douglas and all the different work in the past and everything like that but really when it comes to like boots on the ground and actually getting stuff done it's your dad and, and that and so is when, the mission of the foundation yeah, right there and and you're when um when governor DeSantis came into charge and then he 
you know, tapped your dad you know, to to handle things. I was I was very very happy with that decision. The I FWC that, commissioner. Yeah, 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 I thought that was absolutely a really really great great move. So yes, I had yeah. attended a lot of those FWC meetings with yeah. him, and so I've I've been in the background right. uh, quite a bit, but. You know, he was, he's one of the last people to have saw the Everglades b- before it was compartmentalized. So for him, it's, I mean, he, he knows what it, what it used to be like, and he right. knows what that environment deserves. So uh, I'm just happy to, to do this too. So when you're out there, like on your paddleboard and you're checking all the cams and stuff, I mean, you're, you're kind of like your watchdog in this situation, right? And I mean, have you seen like up or down recently on, on how things are looking out there right now? Um, we've had a pretty wet year mm-hmm. this year. Um, it it just shocks me that, you know, we're having discussions with people that are telling us that we need to rehydrate this area. Right. And I'm sitting here, you know, just remembering all of these moments throughout these meetings where these people are telling us, you know, this, we need more water. Right. And I'm sitting on this paddleboard, like, you know, I would have to swim here if I weren't sitting on this paddleboard right now. How? So you think that they're saying that almost just kind of like as an excuse to say to divert water into different areas? Well, well, so, what's, so the, what's their motivation? Let, let's put it in perspective. Yeah, please. So in the dry season, this is a rain-driven ecosystem. This isn't water that, you know, comes in from other places, albeit there are some canals that move water and provide some drainage, but a ranger of an ecosystem that returns every year to the same high water marks that are on these same cypress trees that are older than the discovery of North America. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are the trees that are in her backyard. That high water mark is hit almost every year. Nine out of 10 is what her father would say. Okay. Um, there's no problem getting to that high water mark. There's, there's no lack of water in the wet season. However, in the dry season, the water table goes down substantially. And, and the Army Corps and the South Florida Water Management District argue that rehydration is necessary to uh, eliminate uh, the, the fuel risk of fires burning too hot and destroying the vegetation, uh, destroying the ecosystem. And, and so they want to rehydrate. The, the problem is all of Florida is a rain-driven ecosystem. Right. There's only one time of year when you have enough water to rehydrate, and that's in the wet season. So how much more water are you going to add to an ecosystem like the the Western Everglades without causing some degradation, causing the channeling, bringing in the dirty water? You know, when we're talking about the STA, mm-hmm. that was a treatment feature that the Army Corps had determined and the district had determined was necessary because of the quality of the water, the water coming from the agricultural uses before it was introduced into the Big Cypress, into these pristine areas. Well, the STA was a bad idea. It was placed in a location that wasn't feasible because they would have destroyed all this this beautiful ecosystem, the Kissimmee-Billy Strand. Mm-hmm. So now the STA is gone. Well, what's next? Well, now they're just going to treat it in place. They're going to treat it at the source, right? These are the, these are the catchphrases. At the source. They want us to trust them that they're going to resolve these problems. We're skeptical, and right. we want to see how they're going to, to address this. There's no STA, so there's no treatment program. So how are they going to treat at the source? What is the source? And 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 they're trying to get this done in an expedited manner, and they're trying to meet the goal. There's a Water Resources Development Act bill that's passed in Congress every two years on the even years. So the next year for that is 2024. So the agencies are in a hurry to get it across the finish line by then. The problem that we have, that everybody has, is that 
the Army Corps is asking for authorization of this project without putting forward a plan of what the project is going to be. So they're saying, trust us, we're going to authorize this for $2 billion. Mm-hmm. And then after we get that permission to spend the $2 billion, we're actually going to tell you what we're spending it on. So it's like you got to read it. You're going to sign it before you read it? Yeah. Kind totally backwards. Somebody said that before, right? Yeah. You got to sign it before you read it? <laughs> but we're keeping yeah, we politics gotta sign out of it this, so we can right? find <laughs> out what's in it. That, that's right. right. Yeah. So, right. So you, you take that into consideration, and then you take into consideration the STAs, and then you take into consideration where I was going before about how they were going to use WARP as a tool to condemn those 250 inholdings that were protected by congressional legislation. And you say, how could we possibly trust you when your track record indicates that you're going to do everything opposite of what you're telling us you're going to do? Seems arbitrary. Well, it's not arbitrary. It's just that they haven't earned the I mean, trust. I mean, I mean their, mo- their motivations seem like arbitrary. It's like not defined, right? Or- There's a lack of trust. Right. So when we were in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago, um, we were at what's called... The or maybe I should say ambiguous. I, mean, if you, I don't know. We were at, at the art school. We were at what was called <laughs> South Florida Ecosystem Restoration Task Force. We call it Everglades Restoration Task Force. Right. And that task force is comprised of different members of state and federal government and a representative of both tribes. And one of the representatives from the Seminole tribe, her name is Patty Power, and she sits on this panel and she made a comment at the task force that they've been working on Western Everglades restoration for 30 years and so during the public comment period one of the people that spoke publicly and made comment suggested to her that if after 30 years of working on this project you're only at 20 percent planning what faith do we have that Mm -hmm. you're going to get this done in a reasonable amount of time and provide a reasonable return to all the stakeholders involved and at the end, when she was afforded the opportunity to make comments, her comments were something to the effect of, I've had enough of this for today. I'm done. So- I think I think the unique thing about this circumstance with what's going on with the Everglades is it's a really hot-button topic. With the growth of the state, we're really starting to squeeze in on it, and we're at that breaking point on a lot of it. Um, but it's it's really, really imperative that we do this the right way. And I think a lot of people are starting to recognize that more and more and more, right? Especially as you see things like, you know, the, the St. Lucie River and, and, you know, and the vegetation and the, the grass beds dying and, and the different things that were, you know, and who's to blame with, you know, the Roundup and all the different things that, that go on and, and all the different chemicals that they're using um, and seeping out into the reefs and all the different things that are happening for for poor quality issue it's now affecting people out here and i think when it affects people out here then they say why is this happening right and then they start looking they start trying to get educated i guess in some weird way so that's kind of what our goal here is today is to bring a little bit more light on those things so the one question i really have for you guys is what do you want to see happen we're back to that question (laughs) yeah no i mean really what what do you what do you want to see happen i mean do you have a what do you want to see happen is it fair to me to ask that there are so many problems th- to solve in the Western Everglades. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I could tell you there Is it are, too late? I, I, the, Some would argue it's too late for the entirety of the system, really. I mean, we have we have a central Everglades we have a central Everglades that's lost ninety percent of its wildlife, lost seventy percent of its tree islands. Mm-hmm. As a result of Everglades restoration, 
not as a result of the CNSF system, which is the South Florida Water Management District, but it was as a result of restoration. 98% of all of the fur-bearing animals in Everglades National Park no longer exist. They're mm -hmm. gone as a result of Everglades restoration. And do you know where they are? They're on our property. Yeah. And what's going to happen to them if this plan goes through? So, so that's another really cool thing to bring up. You know, you know, a lot of people might look at you guys as like landowners, stakeholders, and all that, and and see, oh, they, you know, you want to build, you want to grow it, and everything. But I think don't think that that's really no. the motivation, right? You guys want to preserve. I, I don't know who said it, but uh, privately held property is better maintained than any federal government is going right. to be able to step in and do. I mean, look, the the preserve doesn't have the the budget or the manpower to to properly maintain what they have, and it's not their fault, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a funding and manpower issue. It's it's just too massive. Seven hundred and thirty thousand acres, and they're on a they try to be on a five year burn cycle with different areas mm -hmm. of Big Cypress. It's just an impossible feat. You've got exotics and invasive plants and animals that are taking over areas of the preserve. That adding more water and especially adding something like a wilderness designation is not going to help with the maintenance and the and the management of the area. I mean, these are just bad ideas. So, I mean, to, to answer your question, th there are a lot of things you could pick apart in WERP and say there's a lot of good there. That that's worth doing. But the problem is, if you're going to remove one problem and create another one, is there really any benefit? Right. Well, and so the the other part to that is is there's a lot of value in components of the project there's additional conveyance for water flow to get water going south and southwest mm -hmm. um, obviously we want to ensure that the tribes are kept whole we want them to get the benefits of the project that they deserve there's no reason why the Miccosukee tribe should have their land completely and totally devastated by invasive growth as a result of someone else's nutrient pollution but at the same time that we don't want them to deal with that problem. We don't want their problem to become someone else's problem. And in this case, the reality is, is if you take the three of us out as individuals, the places that we're speaking about are the ones that are going to receive the consequences of these decisions. The same nutrient pollution that's feeding invasive plant growth on the reservation is going to feed invasive plant growth in the preserve. Mm -hmm. And the same water volumes that the tribes don't want on their property at certain times of the year are going to have to go somewhere. And that somewhere is going to be the public land. And the problem with that is we call it public land, but it's your land. It's her land. It's my land. It's all of our land. That That's the notion of public land. Mm -hmm. So it's great that the tribes are made whole and it's great that we correct the problems of the past but we also have to be careful not to create new problems at the same time. So to answer your question about what, what we need to have, um, it really comes down to what can we do with the land that's available to, to provide the results that we're looking for, right? Like here we are, what do we do with it now? Yeah. This, this, so, is, this is the hand that we're dealt at the moment. How do we play it? Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this really interesting thought right like, is it fair to bring up or ask the question about like corporate interest and i mean like big sugar for example i mean is it even worth bringing up them in this in this conversation um so i don't there's not really big agriculture in the footprint of western Everglades. So, so it's not really affecting it 
No, this as so far this as from is, a flow standpoint. No, so you're outside. You're outside of the Everglades agricultural area, which mm-hmm. is the area you're referring to. That's a little bit further to the east. Right. The this STA right here on the map. Nick, can you put this camera on? This yellow uh, STA, which is an STA that everybody's in favor of, Mm -hmm. is adjacent to the Everglades agricultural area. Okay. Um, But there is no, currently, and in the plan, there is no intended mixing of those waters. Those waters would remain separate. Okay. Where, Where you would see where you would see a connection or connectivity of those waters would be, so this is water conservation area 3A on this map, right? This is conservation area 3A. Okay. And eventually the intent is for all this water in WERP to come down here to the south. So the mixing of water would happen here. Okay. If that makes sense. So that would be like a proposed spot? Well, so uh, that's essentially by the way of the topography of the land. Right the waters come together there. There's not a wall in between Water Conservation Area 3 and Big Cypress National Preserve. Currently, there's two levees, but the intent is to degrade, to an extent, to degrade those levees or and to put in water control structures along those levees to allow for the water to be commingled. Okay. Some of the problems with that... So this this is all like when everyone says, send it south, send it south. Like, okay, we're sending it south. Now we have to deal with this. So right? send it south. This is how we're getting to the hits this point. This is send it south. Okay. This Western Everglades is is a rain driven system. It's part of the Everglades. Okay. But it's uplands and wetlands. Her dad would tell you it's fifty percent uplands and fifty percent wetlands. Okay. As opposed to the ridge and slough that you have over here to the east, which is the river of grass. Okay. Right? Yep. So this system eventually would would mix with this system there's not there's nothing that would separate that so these waters at some point currently still today these waters and these waters mix but these levees so the waters to the west and the waters to the east mix they do mix at this point that you're talking about yeah, and they eventually will come down here and mix right. in at the bottom That's for the benefit of the people listening and not watching they could Correct. understand the east and the west the east and the west yeah the, the waters mix yes okay so you, you may have heard in the last several months conversation about the Cape Sable Seaside Sparrow. Okay. The Cape Sable Seaside Sparrow is a federally listed endangered species. It's a little bird. It's about mm-hmm. this big. I have yet to meet maybe one or two people who've ever seen one. Okay. Okay. And this bird is said to live down here. And so for the last 30 years, the structures... It are- has been seen though, right? It has not been seen recently. In fact, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, who manages our endangered species, has listed the species as extirpated, meaning it no longer exists in that what they consider to be subpopulation A. That subpopulation of birds is now officially no longer there. But we still manage these water control structures along the Tamiami Trail as though they were. So these structures remain closed for periods of the year when there's high water which is what has led to the drowning of spe- of upland species and the habitat that they call home in the central Everglades. Right? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this real quick, right? Because I know we're getting very specific on a lot of these different things, right? And for the purposes of the audience, right, I want to give a little bit of a 30,000-foot view on, on, on a lot of this, right? Sure. Because I know a lot of times, you know, people are listening and, it's, and they're going to be like, okay, they might get a little... 
out like, out our space. Little, little lost and everything because we're getting really really specific and I think I'll it's, back up. I think it's freaking awesome. <laughs> no, no, I think it's really great. Right, because this is connected by water, like lays it out, like explains everything that's going on. And I love we got charts and graphs and maps and all this stuff like that, and and it's awesome. But I I really just want to bring the perspective of again, the environment and preserving it is the number one goal here, right? And you know, I I think like I'd like to think that most people involved in this circumstance have that same notion in mind, but maybe not everybody does. But I, I, I'd like to think that this is, I mean, Governor DeSantis has made it clear that this is like top priority for the state. Yeah, the state's never invested as heavily as it has under Governor DeSantis in, yeah. in Everglades restoration. And I, and I know that from day one, right, when, right after like he got elected, and this is what he said, this is what we're doing first. And I thought that was outstanding. I think it was great because for years, especially us down here in South Florida, you know, we've been barking up that tree for so long like you know what are we doing what are we doing like it's just going away it's like getting ruined and finally we're like you know we need to just tackle this once and for all so i'm hoping that there's been some improvement that has happened from his actions and putting you know the funds going on and like let let me bring that thirty thousand foot view of the work that our governor has done in the state in in the everglades i mean i i want to What's the cause and effect of, of those actions? For, for Central Everglades, there have been a lot of projects, and some of them are still to come online in, in the very near future, and there is a lot of good to be reported there. There's been a lot to be done in the Central Everglades. I mean, if you look at the the Tamiami, raising parts of the Tamiami Trail uh, to get that, that right. water south. I mean, that was that was huge. Right. right? That, was, that was a really big accomplishment when that happened. That was great. Right. Well, but it's great because that's what the – that's what the news tells you, right? The headline says bridges built, more water going south. Okay. But the reality is is that we're not maximizing we're not effectively maximizing the flows of the structures and infrastructure that we've already constructed. So as an example, those bridges are great, right? They're gonna send more water south, but they're not right now. Because the canal, in order to maximize that efficiency, the L-29 canal, which is the canal that runs along the north side of the Tamiami Trail, mm-hmm. has to be at nine and a half feet. And right now it's at 8.3 feet. And the reason that it's at 8.3 feet is because the Department of Transportation doesn't want the roadbed of the Tamiami Trail inundated water, inundated with water for too long a period of time. So right now, there's a backup of water in constant. <sighs> Right, you see how, you so, see how my complicated God, this gets. So that damn DOT. Well, no. it's not, but it's just it's 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 bureaucracy. It's government regulation and the different layers of bureaucracy, and they're very hard to navigate. Um, they're extremely complex, and as much as you want to stay at that Everyone thirty thousand, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, these tree islands that are in Conservation Area 3. I mean, come on. That's what it is, right? Everybody wants their funding. These I tree didn't islands. say that. You said that. I said yeah, that. Yeah, I'll yeah, say, that. say that. I'll say that all day long. I didn't say that. I will say, well, it's back to I, work, I paint right? fish for a living. I'll say that all day long. <laughs> it's back to okay. work. We're asking for authorization to spend $2 billion of taxpayer money to create a project that the taxpayers have already suggested isn't worthwhile, right? And they're telling you, you have to authorize it before we can tell you what it's going to look like. Right. And they've already had 30 years to plan it. And they, in 30 years, they haven't been able to come to the table with a solid plan. Okay. Army Corps of Engineers. Great people. Wonderful people. Yeah. Oh, great. The greatest people. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know many of them. And okay. as, as individuals, I so would tell it, you they're ex- all great. Explain to me that the, the battles they have to wage, the wars that they have to wage and all this, especially 
with the raising of the lake, so the dropping the, of the lake. The Army Corps of Engineers is amazing at what they do. I don't think that anybody could do what they do better than they do. The problem is, is that they don't make their own decisions. Congress makes decisions for them. Congress tells them what to do. Yeah, they do it. We might not like it, but Congress is who told them what to do it. That's who gives them their authorization. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's easy to point a finger at the colonel and say, hey, this is your fault, but he's doing his job. Yeah. I mean, they do take a lot of heat, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you hear about it all the time. I mean, oh, Army Corps of Engineer, but I'm just trying to, like, bring up all the players in these situations. Sure. Just trying to, like, lay it out on the table, and it... Okay. Again, are we going to solve the world's problems yeah. in the matter of an hour here and a few glasses of rum? No. Probably not. But if we have more <laughs> you know glasses I mean? of rum, it might feel that way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but at the very least, it's like conversation is going to get started. And, and I want, like, I my hope is that someone listens to this podcast and gets into what we're talking about or says, oh, you know what? That's right. Everglades. I always say that I want to save the Everglades or I always say I'm all for it, but do I really know why? Or what does and, it mean? Or what does it mean? Yeah. And and that's really the purpose of today is it, just, I think, to be like, hey, you know, like this is really what's going on out there. How are we doing so far? Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, you're doing great. All right. Just yeah. checking. Well, but, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're at the Department of Interior for this task force meeting. Mm -hmm. The Department of Interior is, is a whole city block, maybe two put together. A very impressive building. Seven stories. We travel on our own dime to go up there so we can advocate for, for these issues in the Western Everglades. Mm -hmm. And we get our three minutes of public comment. All of us do our presentation. She gets up there and does a, a bang up job. Really? Ends oh, yeah. up everybody's emotional. I mean if you didn't if, if you didn't <laughs> shed a tear. Yeah, but on video? Oh yeah. It's if, somewhere. Yeah. I, don't I gotta know. see I it. I cried so video. much that I haven't actually watched it back. I gotta I'll see it. it to Guess you. who I'll has see. to follow her? You. This guy. <laughs> this guy right here. How am I supposed to follow that? <laughs> you did amazing. Uh, Diamond's pretty good. She um, she could jerk on your heartstrings pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all I've got. I don't have a science degree. I'm not an attorney, but I got yeah, the but heart. You, 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 I mean, you were born there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, you definitely, that's sometimes heart's all you need, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't know. I think it was, we're currently putting a conservation easement on our property and we had um conservation florida out okay to come for a site visit and within five minutes of them arriving we were out on a polaris and there was a female panther just gosh maybe oh, 25 really? yards walking in front of us that's cool and she looked back at us and we locked eyes and i just and I was right next to my dad, which was really cool. I, I had always hoped that we'd see one together like that. And I thought, you know, this is why I moved back from Nashville for, for her. Because yeah. she can't she can't speak for herself. And so that's why we pay the money that we do to fly up to D.C. and get some really expensive, nice-looking suits for yeah. it. You know? <laughs> I'm not a big suit girl, but no? I, I was two weeks ago. And but she it's maintained the pi the Python theme through the whole thing. It was I did. Amazing. Dude, <laughs> yeah. I remember. Dude, I remember when I had the first time to go up to Washington D.C. for the U.S. Mint Symposium when I first became a mint artist, and they're like, "Oh, you have to dress business casual." Business casual is like this 
to this Columbia. Florida native <laughs> is like different to what you know, business casual means in like the rest of the world. So I really like, I was like typing, like sending emails. I'm like, what, like asking the people to admit, like, what is business casual to you? And like, all that. so I had to like go buy a whole new wardrobe. Like I don't own any of those clothes. I'm like, I'm t-shirts and flip-flops and, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Man. So I'm going to add to what Diamond said. So people understand, because your listeners might not know what a conservation easement is, but conservation easement is um it's a tool that we're able to use here in florida to help protect some of our land from development and so what's important and to your point about uh ronnie bergeron's legacy and and what he does is he's essentially saying i am going to sell my development rights away and ensure that this land can be saved in perpetuity in its present condition um that's a huge thing that's giant and so she says it very lightheartedly but mm-hmm. i just want your listeners to know that that's huge it's important that is huge yeah that is huge she, that's outstanding yeah her her dad is essentially saying that this land is more valuable to me and my family as a house for wildlife than it is for me to ensure that i can make more money building houses here and so yeah. um in a florida that's quickly being lost to development to hear someone like her dad, who's been a leader in conservation for so long, do that um, is a testament to his leadership. So that's yeah, what, I just very well said right that. there. What you what you just laid out. For yeah. us. Thank you very much for yeah. saying that. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I was talking to a very good friend of mine who is an attorney. Um, just happens to be an attorney. I, I was talking to him about. Yeah, they're good people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're all right. <laughs> Yeah, some some of them are okay. <laughs> I almost spit out my papa's pilar rope. <laughs> no, but um, I was talking about what we were going to be discussing, and he says, "Ask them about eminent domain mm-hmm. and how that plays a role in what you guys are doing." Imagine if at you're, all. Imagine you're a fifth generation cow calf operation on this proposed footprint for this STA, and you find out about. The, the fact that they're going to condemn your property to make this STA two weeks before a public meeting in Immokalee. Mm-hmm. The, the Heather Kleckler went with us to D.C. It was her family that owns this property where this STA was proposed. Who, who to pot, they've been there. They were the, her family were the original pioneer settlers of the land. That's, oh, really? That's how far back their, their lineage goes. I believe her grandfather had dug the Lardcan Canal. Yeah, by hand. Wait, what, what happened? Dug a canal? The canal that they proposed to backfill, her grandfather right? had dug that canal. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. To provide the drainage to make their land usable. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. So so the eminent domain uh, is the process where they the, the government sues the landowner to condemn the property for public use. Okay. Uh, it's, it's perfectly acceptable in areas where there isn't federal legislation that bars them from the condemnation uh, because these properties, the inholdings in the preserve... Uh, have been protected by a congressional act, right? So that's the difference between inside and outside of the preserve. Inside the preserve, the federal legislation says that the federal government is not capable of condemning a property so long as its use isn't inconsistent with that of the preserve. Outside the preserve, they don't have that same protection. So some of these elements that they're thinking about doing affect private property owners that, that are multi-generational owners of this property. And, and they face a lawsuit from the federal government in order to take the property from them for the, the purpose of conservation and for the purpose of uh, Everglades restoration. This is happening. Oh, well, yeah, so it, that's what's threatened. Yeah, so the way, the way they're doing it is... Um, Who's being threatened with this, can you say? Yeah, there's 50 landowners north of the Big Cypress 
preserved. All being threatened with eminent domain right now. So it's not eminent domain uh, at face value. The way it works is they're proposing what's called the flowage easement. Right. And the way a flowage easement works is the government assesses your property and determines its value. Okay. And based on its value, they pay you for the right to take away your protection from flooding. To convey water on the property. So they're telling you. What you talking about, Willis? Yeah. So they're, t- they're so listen to this this is this is kind of this is kind of the insanity of this whole thing, right? So we're talking about Big Cypress National Preserve where people have existed since before drainage, since before the canals were dug, right? Not just the white man, the settlers, but the indigenous people, the tribal people have existed there. They had their encampments there. They had their mounds there. They all existed there. They hunted. They lived there. They sustained themselves. Now the government is proposing a project that's going to elevate waters to a level that requires them to take away your flood protection. And if you say you don't want the flowage easement, that's where eminent domain comes in. So they give you an opportunity. They dangle a carrot. They say, this is our deal. We'll offer you X amount of dollars. You can keep your land, but there's a good chance we're going to flood it. Oh, and by the way, if you don't take this, we're going to come after it anyway. That's that's a big problem for those private The man. Now, yeah. now, Dennis, you might the say. man right there. Yeah, that's a big deal. Wow. So what's the wow. problem? Mm-hmm. What's the problem with conveying a little water on my property, right? I mean, in the wet season, I have water on my property now. So what's the problem with conveying a little, little, little water? What's the quality of the water? Mm-hmm. What's the quantity of the water? We don't know, but if we don't know, but if you authorize this, we'll tell you. It doesn't stay longer. Two hundred. So if you look at this, is the crazy thing they they provide you with models, computer generated models, right? So they bring you these models that tell you that there's going to be this amount of water for this period of time but the models are only as good as the information you plug into them so there is no project plan they're just giving you models of what they'd like for it to look like but there's no blueprint for how to get it there that's what they want to authorize beforehand all right so paint this picture for me you guys are up in washington dc Right, you're standing there at the podium. You have three minutes. Three what, minutes. What did you say? I had some pointed words for the the people that were in charge of the the preserve, the the super superintendent uh, Pedro Ramos. Um, he stepped out during the public comment period, which I think was kind of telling of where he lies with uh, you know what he's focused on with Everglades restoration. Which but, is. Well, it, it it's hard to say. I mean, his interests don't align with our interests, or at least not my interests. Uh, my interest is the environment and the preserve. Uh, if you if you look at the the people in charge of the preserve and the people in charge of the people in charge of the preserve, uh, there's a concerted effort to not focus on what's in the best interest of the preserve. Uh, and that's that was the point of my public comment. In three minutes, in, in summary, I said, "Who speaks for the preserve? Mm. We do." No one else advocates for the preserve. It doesn't have a lobbying interest. It doesn't have people walking the halls of Congress. It has the Department of Interior, whose uh, head is now the the chair of the Everglades Task Force, has appointed herself as such. Um, but nobody speaks for the preserve, except us. That's it's very interesting. I'm glad I asked that question because I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a great point. It, and that, and, and that, that does, it's a great illustration right there of, I think, the meaning behind today, right? I mean, 
I think you just hit the nail on the head. Nobody speaks for the preserve. Someone's got to speak up for the preserve, right? That's it. Someone's got to represent. And that's you guys. I'd like to think so. Right? Absolutely. Isn't that like the view of today? Yeah. Overall? Totally. We're the, the, the modern age conservationists that are advocating for the preserve. I mean, the, there were generations of people in the 40s and the 50s, again in the 70s, in the late 80s, and here we are today. Mm-hmm. We're advocating for what the best interest of the preserve is. Take our personal interests and put them aside. We've all sit here admitted, you give me a plan that puts the environment number one, I'm behind it 100%. Mm-hmm. But it, it, if it doesn't have the preserve at, at its core and its best interests, I'm not interested. So it's the precedent that we're concerned with and, and the central Everglades issue is huge, right? Water conservation area 3A, and I'm going to say this again so everybody hears me in the back of the room, 70% of all of the upland tree islands have drowned and 90% of all the wildlife that called them home have drowned. And the organization that was in control of the structures that allowed that water to gather the way it did is the Army Corps of Engineers. And not until two weeks ago did the Army Corps of Engineers, with significant pressure from folks like us, did they finally agree to a deviation to open those structures. It took 30 years to get them to do that. So these are the people that you said were great people. They are good people. No, you no, have no, to separate. I, but I have a, but I have a, I know, that's, yeah. I have a setup question about that. Yeah. So I just wanted to like just clarify, right? So these people that you said are great people are being told by Congress. Is it Congress instructing them to do this? Correct. Right, it's not them no. making this decision. You pressured the Army Corps of Engineers, which put I'm asking, which put pressure on Congress. No, so so how did that? How did we, how did you get them to change? That's that's why I wanted. To know. So it, it was uh, I would say multifaceted. Like we did uh, social media videos, um, we did letter writing campaigns to the government agencies, um, and we encouraged the government agencies, being FWC, South Florida Water Management, Court of Public Opinion. Court of public, well, so not so much. I'm going to steer away from that because okay. people don't understand this whole conversation. So we we did the social media stuff to help people understand there yeah. was a problem. With so, by the way, the people don't understand the whole conversation. Like, this is why we're having the conversation. Yeah, no, totally. And right? that was why we did those yeah. videos. But to go first to public opinion wasn't the right way. So we did we did a letter writing campaign. We we uh, approached and spoke with. Our government agencies here, FWC, U.S. Right. Fish and Wildlife Service, South Florida Water Management District, encouraged them that something needed to be done. Those agencies wrote letters to the Army Corps of Engineers asking them to make these changes. We then went to our legislators and did the same thing and said, these are the issues that we're having. We need you to address them. And those legislators wrote letters to the Army Corps of Engineers. And then we went to Washington, D.C. and sat in front of all of those legislators again, expressed to them these concerns, and asked them to please work on it on their end. And they did. And the Army Corps of Engineers actually three days ahead of their scheduled uh, deviation, which was November 20th, they did it on November 17th, they deviated and opened those structures. It sounds like I'm splitting hairs with three days, but three days. No, man. I mean, all I can think of is you're working hard. Three right? days with for the Army Corps engineers, that's a lifetime. But what about this, right? So we mentioned earlier, like, oh, yeah, you know, everyone wants their funding, right? But that's not where you guys are coming from. No. We're, we're, at, doing, we're doing this on a shoestring. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think that's the coolest part about it. Really. I mean, but let, all right. 
as much as I would love to ask you to recreate your Washington uh, DC moment, but I don't think should. that's going to be possible. Oh, it's oh, like should. one of the sounds like it's not a no. repeatable moment. No, no, it's good. Right, but I'd, lo- I'd love to really, really see <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, you should let her let her do it. She, yeah, yeah, she's she's a uh, she's a force of nature. She really well, is. So, do you want to share with us? I would say, is there I, anything I you can, can share yes. with what you talked about up there? Yes. Yeah, so, I would probably have talked for about ten minutes if they would have let me. So okay. I really had to cut it short. But there was something that stood out to me in the beginning of this task force meeting. One of the task force members, Miss Holly Smith, she's from Sanibel, she had said, nature is showing us the way. Yeah. And so when I got up to speak, I had repeated that. And I told her, yes, I, I agree. But are you all listening? Because we are. We live there. So I don't have to be a scientist to tell you that, you know, a wading bird only has so tall of a leg we don't need more water they can't Mm -hmm. stand in it we have 500 year old cypress trees that have a watermark on it that's been there for centuries that tell us how how high the water needs to be i don't need to be a scientist to tell you that i can look through all of my trail camera footage and i'm looking at the same female panthers year after year coming back to this beautiful pristine area and they're thriving and they're having their young there over and over again and how blessed am i to get to watch that it's so special. We don't need more water. We don't. And I don't have to have a science degree, a biology degree to tell you that. It's nature is telling us what it needs, but you have to listen. Are you all listening? And that was kind of the gist of what I was saying. Love it. Yeah. Love it. She's awesome. I'm That's so good. glad she's here doing this. That's good. Thanks, yeah. Mike. <laughs> I don't know what I do without, without no, yeah. seriously. So, um, uh, you don't know this about me, but I, I represent an organization, sorry, called the, the Cypress chapter of the Isaac Walton league and Isaac Walton league is a hundred years old, uh, conservation organization. that's uh, based out of Maryland, but our local chapter, the Cypress chapter was created with the explicit purpose of creating big Cypress national preserve. The people that came before me were the people that worked to create the preserve. And those people worked really, really hard. And when they were done, after all those years, a decade or more, probably another decade after it was formed, everybody kind of thought that the government was going to stick to what they said they were going to do. And so people just kind of went about their business, spending their time in their, you know, little piece of the puzzle and enjoying their time recreating. And um, as the years went on, you know, natural attrition, those people got old, they phased out. And, um, the government just kind of did what it wanted to do there. You know, there's other different organizations that stepped up into the forefront and they had different priorities and uh, lobbyists and they advocated for the things that were important to them. And in the meantime, the preserve kind of went to, to crap. I mean, there's tens of thousands of acres of invasive vegetation that the federal government is completely unable to keep up with. Um, there's prescribed fire programs that haven't been met in the 50, 50 years that the preserve has existed. There's places in Big Cypress National Preserve that haven't seen fire in 30 years. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, because what you might not know is that Florida and the Big Cypress National Preserve are fire dependent. In mm-hmm. order to have a healthy environment, you have to have a balance of fire and water. Fire and water is what shapes the environment in the in the Everglades. And so for the last 50 years, the National Park Service has 
And I'll stop for a second and go back to what we said earlier. There's a difference between preservation and conservation. And the National Park Service inherently is a preservationist organization. Their ideology is, is that man's hand need not be here. Nature can take care of itself. And the reality is, is that the Big Cypress National Preserve, before it was a preserve, was farmed, timbered, logged, had cows on it, had farms on it. Drilled. Drilled. There's still oil being pumped out of Big Cypress National Preserve at this very second while Today. we're sitting here talking. That's right. Right? There's a, really? there's a pipeline that goes from Big Cypress National Preserve underneath Water Conservation Area 3A all the way across the Everglades. The Sunnyland Reserve. You Google, <laughs> Google that. Nobody knows about Nobody that. Nobody talks about Nobody it. Nobody talks about that. Come on. They've been pumping oil out of the Big Cypress for 100 years or better. They're still pumping oil out of the Big Cypress, right? So for the last 50 years, the Big Cypress has gone ecologically to crap, uh, whereas the last 10 years, we've had a complete decline of deer and fur-bearing animals throughout the southern portion of the preserve. That's the primary prey species of the Florida panther, Mm -hmm. right? So here we are 50 years later. Are the bears making a little bit of a comeback right now? Uh, so the, like I heard they're on the rise a little bit, right? The big Cypress Bear Management Unit is the densest bear population of all the seven bear management units in the state of Florida. The amount of bears that we see on our property would blow your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, he's very well known on Instagram. I won't say his name. <laughs> Some people listening might know who he is. But he um, had never, he's in the big Cypress Preserve and he's, he's, traveling all around the Everglades to film and video mm-hmm. and he had never filmed a bear and I said come out to our property I'll find you one in 30 minutes hold my and beer guess what <laughs> oh yeah I found him a bear quick yeah nice yeah. so back to where I was going with this what's cool is is that um, we've had a gap in in that generational succession of people fighting for big cypress right and to me Diamond represents our future. Diamond is everything that we need to change the thought process, right? That old white guy save the Everglades thing. It's it our society has kind of left that in the past and we're we're going in a different direction and to me she embodies that new direction, right? Diamond is our future she is the new glades woman not that she's new at it but her persona right she's not mm-hmm. been in this conversation but she's found that there's a need for her to be here well and she has a passion yeah she has a heart for this right. and you don't need a, you don't need a degree and you don't have to have a job working for an agency to know what's the right thing to do right if you live on the landscape and you're in tune with nature it's it's kind of like what you were talking about with the shark fishing right you and i know if you're going to catch sharks we're going to catch them in shore right right these guys are out there in four or five hundred feet because they don't go fishing and they don't know squat about catching a shark they just figured they're going to go out there and throw out a line and okay we didn't catch one they're not here right so the one thing that we bring to this and diamond specifically is that heart it's a passion it's i try to tell people big cypress national preserve saved me i grew up in miami i was a city kid i didn't really understand the outdoors when you when you're born in this concrete jungle there's seldom opportunity for you to be exposed to the natural environment and so i look at it as big cypress gave me an opportunity to understand the real world not our artificial created self-indulgent world but the real world the way things really work and so 
you have to be able to have that intimate understanding of the system to make good decisions for it. And one of the things I made in that my three minutes of comment is all those people in the panel when they spoke, they all said the same thing. I've been working in the Everglades for 30 years and this is my life's job and this is what I've been working towards my whole life. And my public comment was, I'm working in the Everglades and I've never seen a single one of you out there. Mm -hmm. So are you working in the Everglades or working on the Everglades? Because there's a distinction there. Right. Right. And so if, if, if you don't understand the places that you're working to, to save, you, you're never going to love them and, and you're never going to do them justice. So I, I, that's diamond, well, diamond, diamond is diamond brings that to the table. We're all Florida sure. natives here, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, make it a point all the time to stress to my children the importance of being a Florida native. Right? And I'm the youngest of six. I was the only one born in Florida. The rest of them were from New Jersey. My wife is from New Jersey. Right? But she is wholeheartedly a Floridian. Um, so she'll tell you. Yeah, because who wants to shovel snow, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think Understanding the importance of being a Floridian is you that means you have a comprehension as to what it means to preserve the state and to be a responsible steward of the state. And I think that's very important for kids that grow up here to understand that. Um, that you just don't live in some place. Right? It's a very special place. It's a very fragile place. It's a very important place to uphold. So, all right. I want to end with this. I want to end with you. Well, we just started. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it seems like when we're having these conversations. We, we, can, do, we can do an episode, too. We can do an episode, yeah. We, how, many, how much time do you have? We might need three and four, too. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I mean, do you guys want to keep going? I, no, I, I, I know that no, yeah, no, we, we've kind of reached. You just got started as far as I'm concerned. You guys, I mean, I mean I'd mean, i love to have you guys back. back sure. on. I mean, and honestly, like, no offense to you guys. I'd love to have a one-on-one podcast with you someday. I would I love th- that. I think that'd be outstanding. I would love that. Um, You've got to be ready to cry, agent. though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll both be crying together, like, over, oh, save Florida. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted, like, in light of what I w- was just saying about, you know, we're all Floridians, we all grew up here, there's a responsibility to this, and, and you know, if you're doing it right, the right way. Um, if you, if you, you have no perspective on this and you were born and raised in Florida, I just feel sorry for you. Um, but I want to hear in your words, right, if we can kind of like tie this all together, what's your hope for the state of Florida? Wow, that's loaded. <laughs> um, something that my dad always says is this is God's land and we're just its caretakers And my hope for Florida would be that every Floridian adopts that mindset. That's, that's really it. I think that's perfect. You know, being born here, we don't choose that, but what a gift. So, you know, take that, run with it, educate yourself, reach out to me, reach out to the foundation. Um, There's a lot to learn, but you're needed. Every every Floridian is so needed in this, and and it's it's worth involving yourself in. It's great. That's great. I mean, if you don't get yeah. emotional, I'm going to tear up just it. after <laughs> hearing that. <laughs> the um, you're right, and and I've always really really stressed this, and my parents would always like tell me this growing up. They're like, you don't know how lucky you are. 
you don't know how lucky you are growing up here. You know what I mean? I, you know, grew up in New Jersey. Well, you don't know how lucky you are. You get to grow up here. And I never really understood that because this is just how I was born. I was born here. But then, you know, you start to see changes. And you're saying, you're just like, wow. Yeah, and lucky. You go to other places. You're like, oh, I can't wait to get back to Florida. Yeah. You know? And then you don't... So my, my mom used to always say this growing up. You don't appreciate Florida truly until you leave it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's true. No, you, I it, moved right? back from Think, Nashville because of that. That's it. You don't yeah. appreciate Florida truly until you leave it. There, there, there are beautiful places all over the world. For Go sure. spend a week in Washington, D.C. You'll appreciate <laughs> this all. We I have. To the airport. I have. <laughs> Trust me. We took a, I'll show you when we're done. We took a funny picture myself and Diamond. And uh, I don't know if you know Marshall Jones, but he's like a fifth generation gladesman. He runs Max Fish Camp mm-hmm. off of Chrome Avenue. Um, we, 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 when the meeting was done in DC, we walked up to the front, we took our shoes off and we made a joke cause we all walk around in the swamp barefoot. So the joke was, is that we left our swamp barefoot to go walk in that swamp barefoot. <laughs> the task force members really got a kick out of it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right. Listen, if people are listening to this, um, and you want to help, you want to get involved, or at least you just want to get educated, where can they go? Take a trip out to big Cypress. Okay. Go, go and see it. You have to see it to appreciate it. You and, do. And many people haven't seen it. And it's yep. yours. It's it's public land. You own it. If you're listening to this and you're an American, Big Cypress National Preserve is yours. And and we're fighting for your land, and it could use your help, too. Nice. And support the Bergeron Foundation? Bergeron Everglades Foundation. All right. How can they do so? Um, Follow us on social media mm-hmm. at Bergeron Everglades Foundation. Reach out to us. We're trying to plan some some cool events out in the big cypress so if anyone's never been there before they want to check it out yeah there's a with us there's a not to cut you short sorry there's a this weekend saturday swamp heritage festival in big cypress national preserve okay at behind the nathaniel reed visitor center um it'll be a really great opportunity to see all the different cultures that have helped to make big cypress what it is um, that's a huge opportunity. That's uh, this Saturday, the second. Okay. December. That's December second. They should do it annually. They do. They they do. I think there's been some breaks from COVID, right. but yeah. yeah. And if this doesn't air until next week, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a blast. <laughs> no, we're going to air this on Friday, so it'll be the day before, so that people might be able to hear this and get there in time. So, all right, cool. Um, I hate ending. Great Me too, because we were just right? like I said, we're just I getting. Know. Yeah, amped up here. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do it again. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. But uh, maybe you very, could do one in Big Cypress. That'd be great. Come could out you, to Green Glades West. That would be great. Yeah. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, we could do. That. Let's yeah. do it. Buggy ride. Let's and, do that. Yeah, yeah. And then you, we could start talking after the buggy ride, so it's all fresh in your mind. Oh, it's yeah. like after hours yeah. podcast. Do you yep. have one of those yet? We do now. That will be episode one. <laughs> <laughs> just bring bring your Papa's Pilar, please. Yeah, we will. Or three. Yeah, cases <laughs> just randomly show up at the door, so they're, they're, they treat me right. Uh, this our, is good rum, by the way. It, it is, is so isn't good. it? Very wow. Good our, Absolutely. Our efforts to, uh, to, to educate people on this, Dennis, is, is in earnest. I mean, we, we really, we travel our own dime. We, we advocate on our own, but uh, the exposure that you get with Connected by Water, we appreciate you having us on. Yeah, it's sure. my pleasure. And, and, I, and I got that, like, the second we met and we talked. And, like, you know, you, you, you like to think that, you know, you, you can recognize when people are being authentic and genuine. And, and I, I really got that right after our first conversation. I appreciate that. And, and uh, 
That's why I didn't hesitate to do this episode. So, so before we leave, I need to mention something that I failed to mention at the beginning of the show. Every episode, we have our Starbright Solutions do-gooder of the week, right? And it's my bad for not bringing this up at the very beginning of the show is when we usually do it. Um, so a lot of people that have been following the show know that we select a do-gooder every week, actually, where Corey Redwine does. And Corey Redwine is my very good friend, Derek's wife. Yep. And she is a conservation director Amazing over people. at Starbright Solutions. And she really does a lot of outplanting and mangrove preservation up there um, in the Indian River Lagoon. And she has chosen Tyler and Carrie Sheely and says their daughter Kingsley is 11 and her school science project is to grow mangroves different ways to see which performs the best. And then we'll plant back into the river. So for that, they as parents are do-gooders and so is Kensley. And they will be posting that up by the time this airs so that's really cool, they receive man. a whole good bucket of fun of about two hundred dollars worth of starbright um eco-friendly environmentally friendly great company products. great product absolutely 100 yeah. we are proud to have them as a sponsor of the show and Corey's so. a great lady she does some amazing Corey's amazing awesome. stuff amazing Corey, stuff i tell you derek and Corey redwine like obviously they're like two of my closest friends but they're just like two of the most amazing people yeah. i've ever met in my entire life they really they're just the coolest most unique so I, I met them yeah. at Adrian's wedding. and uh, Oh, that's where you yeah, met them? that's where I met them. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, very, very cool people. Lovely people. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm proud to call them friends. So, all right. Um, Tom, Mike, and of course, Diamond. Thank you thank for Thank you very us. much. Carlene, yes. thank you very thank much. You. That, you Over there for the serving best. up drinks all thank day. You. We appreciate you. Thank you. you. And um, all right. I guess we're going we're gonna to end this how we always do. Your ego is not your amigo. Always do your best. At the end of the day, just let God do the rest. And do not ever forget that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we are all connected, connected by, water. by water. water. And long live the Everglades. There you long go. Live the Everglades. <laughs> Thanks again, Dennis. Yep. Thanks, Dennis. This Monday's with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.